Hello and welcome again to another encounter lesson. We're going to be on the eighth lesson of our quarter. It's going to be October 23rd. And the title of our lesson is Nathan Rebukes David, coming from 2 mm -hmm. Samuel verses 12, 1 through 9. But before we get into that, any kind of introductory things you need to take care of, Reverend Zarke? Woosley Woman Wednesday, remember to get us your nominees, your ladies from your church, a picture and a 250 word biography about all the amazing things that they do for your congregation. Please email those to me at rzarte, that's Z-A-H-R-T-E at cumberland.org. All right. And then so far as I'm concerned, I think I'm on a, I'm on a pause for a little bit. I get to- Pausing is nice. Regroup some. Um, yeah. So I'm going to be working on a lot of curriculums this year. So uh, just working on that. And that way we can get those to you um, later. No dates. Later. No. Yeah. You know, as as a new comer to the whole writing curriculum, man. Takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of time to and money. research and put all that information together and just, it's, it's a lot. It is yeah. a lot. But we're getting stuff done. I am excited about what we've got. Um, we're putting a real yeah. big push. Um, I will say, okay, just remind, I mean, if you're listening to this, chances are you already use the encounter, but if you know some people in different churches that don't, um, the summer of 2023 coming up as the study on the confession of faith. And then the yeah. next year will be, um, the Voices of the Church, which is going to be written from uh, our missionaries, from lay leaders in other countries. They're actually writing in their own language, and we're getting them translated and then placed around. And I'll have more information on that. I finally got it scoped out and sequenced, so I can tell you exactly what it's going to be and what it's lessons we're going to exciting. cover. very exciting. I mean, it's yeah, really exciting to know that we're we're encompassing and pulling in information from our brothers and sisters around the globe. So what, a, what an awesome opportunity for us to it have is. that we can share together. I'm going to go ahead and say though, like, you know, these are completely different cultures. And so I know sometimes yeah. uh, I haven't had it happen in a year, two, three years. It's been a long time since we've had any real uproars. Um, it'll be fun. So an American audience is going to disagree or at least have a very sure. different perspective uh, from someone who's in a different culture. So I am kind of curious to see how that plays out and obviously to see the differences. And, and so I hope people uh, come at it with a, with that kind of attitude, just say, Hey, yeah. what, what's the church look like around the world? So we'll yeah, see. Cause it's awesome. It's amazing. All right. Our uh, memory verse is uh, from second Samuel 12, seven, which is Nathan said to David, you are the man you demand. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I rescued you from the hand of Saul. Uh, so that's that. Uh, and then our prayer for illumination. Forgiving God, help us not to make, not to mistake knowledge of your word with obeying. Help us to go from knowledge to practice, and then from practice to loving you who revealed to us the scripture. Um, when we fail, and we surely will, receive us back to yourself when we repent and seek your face. Amen. Oh, Amen. Um, all right. Um, so this is one of those, you know, this is one of the well-known stories in all sure. of scripture. Uh, most everybody, I think most everybody, I think Noah's Ark, then maybe Jesus on the cross, and then maybe uh, David and Bathsheba. Uh, that might be the order in which it goes. Hopefully, maybe Jesus is first, but mm, I don't know. Um, at least we in hope. this 
<laughs> well, you know, at least in the stories people know real well. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, so the introduction, uh, what do you have on the introduction there, Reverend? I really enjoyed the fact that Caleb pointed out that this is like a Shakespearean tragedy because it is a tragedy that happens within scripture. So just like the Shakespearean plays Romeo and Juliet and Hamlet, Julius Caesar, Othello and Macbeth, this is a tragic happening of the downfall of someone great and amazing and that people hold in high regard and high esteem and then to watch him just crumble yeah. you know face plant on the asphalt yeah it's painful to watch i've always said kind of one of the it's like um driving down the road and you see a car wreck yeah you're intrigued even if you don't like that somebody just almost probably i mean the car slipped over you can't stop yeah. watching and you know human yeah. nature i think it exposes i think we kind of like to see the the we proud do like tragedies I mean, yeah. as long as it's not us, it's an interesting story. Yeah. Um, we, said, I think we enjoy watching those people that are, are on perceived pedestals just come toppling down. Yeah. 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 Um, there is, I've, I've said this before in a, in a podcast way back when I was intrigued when I found it, but there's actually a, uh, there's like an ethic, I guess, in um, Australia called tall poppy syndrome. And basically it's just, if you rise too far above your station, they will, the the community will do whatever it takes to just not like you and to bring you back mm -hmm. down to where everybody else is. So anyway, yeah. it's fun. Look that up. Tall poppy syndrome. Uh, Tall poppy um, syndrome. That's interesting. Yeah. So this um, discussion question, have you ever felt mm. like you hit rock bottom or know someone who has, what was it like to experience or witness such an event? I'll, Give it to you i'm pretty sure this is a relatable question to most people i would think so i mean i i would think everybody has hit rock bottom at some point in their life some way somehow um i can think of a couple of instances of someone else i'm sure i'm sure um of when i have hit the bottom of the barrel um for a few different reasons. One, um, when I was young, young and in love, you know how that is when you're young and in love and the person that you really care about can do absolutely nothing wrong. Um, I won't go into the whole scenario, but basically, um, my fiance broke off our engagement because he decided he liked my friend better. Yeah, you know, that sucks. You back. That sucked. That was not, that was not a good day. Um, that was just not a good day, but, um, I've also hit rock bottom at work where you are the golden child yeah. <laughs> and you're on the pedestal and all of a sudden something happens and the pedestal gets kicked up from underneath you and all of your coworkers really enjoy that. Yeah. Like it a little bit. They, they we do kind of like it yeah they do they really enjoy watching the uh the golden child hit the hit the pavement so it's not it's not fun it's not fun to um it's not fun to go through those events because they're very emotionally exhausting and traumatizing and just take so much out of you to try to understand 
like how it all happened to begin with, like, where did this start to go wrong and what wrong turn did I take and what happened in this event to cause this cataclysmic event to take place. But also when you witness it in other people, it's so obvious. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, in other people, you can see it happening, but I don't think in yourself, you can see it coming. And other people you're like, Hmm, this is not going to end well. (laughs) Yeah. That's how I would, I I mean, me. So like, yeah, I've hit rock bottom a couple of times, in different areas. I mean, there's always another bottom. You can find another bottom. Absolutely. Especially when you have a good personality, you know, you just build up and yeah, there's always one, but that's okay. So in some sense, it's part of life. Sure. Um, depending on, I mean, like there's a difference between being strung out on drugs and hitting a rock bottom or like yes. you find a rock bottom in your career. Cause maybe some things I, I guess. So I, I guess there's a difference and he's probably thinking about hitting rock bottom spiritually, physically, emotionally, and all that jazz. But, yeah. um, but like I, I do, if you've had, if you've had kids at all, any, like I've said this before, but it's fun for me to think about, like, you can see every wrong thing your child is doing. Yeah. And they are so determined that they are doing the right thing. And yeah. then of course it crashes and they're like, how did this happen? Be like, I have no idea. I can't imagine this happening. Who right. could have foreseen this? Uh, so, but I, I like the way you say it because it, not just children. I mean, like when we're on, like when we want something, we can justify anything. Sure. Absolutely. We can. And that's what we're going to see in, in this story. In David, and it's yeah. not like David is terrible. I'm pretty sure. Um, We've all done something extremely stupid and then did not know how stupid it was until we were caught or until we, you know, faced the conflict. Had your hand in the cookie jar and your mom yeah. walked in and went, what are you doing? You know, I'm, I'm a big fan of thinking everybody, you know, total depravity, but I don't think we really think that. And so, like, we think we have the best of intentions and we truly believe it. And we disguise ourselves to think or, you know, we're doing the right thing until it's not. And then it was like, how could I have been so stupid? Yeah. Like, should have listened to mom or dad. Yeah. Should have listened to whoever. Yeah. Right? Exactly. Exactly. It's not the way life works. We got to learn. No. Um, I would say. Somet- and sometimes you have to learn the hard way. I, I will say you- that. Some- sometimes you can learn by watching other people's example, but sometimes you just have to walk Thanks. through that fire to get the lessons. I don't know which way you are, but you just said it right. Um, yeah. So biblical. <laughs> The way this works biblically, we've studied, you know, some of the wisdom literature. The goal of wisdom literature is you're a human being and you're terrible, but every other person that's ever lived is too. And you can see their mistakes and you don't have to make their mistakes. So listen, my child, you know, is what Proverbs will say, you know, listen to the instruction of your father and mother, you know, look at the wicked. Don't be like that. So learn from the mistake of others. So you don't have to hit rock bottom. It's just we're hard headed. So I think, you know, rock bottom helps in a real strange way. Yeah, not you. No. Talking about Leo. Um, sure, sure. Uh, the poor dog. He gets blamed right. for everything. Um, anything else on that? No, that's that's a great intro to help us set up on what's going to happen in this story. Yeah. All right, then we'll move on to exploring the scripture, the historical and contextual setting. Did you want to take us off on a point there, or? Here we are. We have we have wonderful, amazing David, who is is standing on on his castle, looking out over the city of Jerusalem. I'm sure just pondering 
the amazingness of what God has given him and just how awesome this city has become and look at everything that's happening. And lo and behold, here comes this beautiful woman bathing on the rooftop who was trying to bathe, by the way, in the privacy of her own home (laughs) and was rudely, rudely interrupted uh, by a gawker, uh, spied upon by this gawker from above. Yeah, I think it's a great way to, I really enjoyed how Caleb set this up, um, that it was David's lustfulness that caused this problem. there are some, I know in some Sunday school classes, I've, and I've heard it said that, you know, Bathsheba shouldn't have been out bathing on a roof, or she was just trying to seduce David, or, and I don't think so. I don't think that's, I mean, she was bathing in the privacy of her own home. And I'll say this, I mean, like, so people can make the case, even if she was, that's her room, her house, her bath. What does that yeah. have to do with David? Right. You know, so David, David certainly was a person in power. Snoopin. Yes, he was the person that had the, the power and authority that took took advantage of his possession to right. put Bathsheba in a terrible possession. And I think it started even before then. Like, you know, it's like if you know, if you're taking the I don't know, I mean, like you'd like to think you would not put yourself in that position. It's like a lot of men are, especially if they're, you know, don't like to watch certain shows that, you know, lead you down thoughts of, you know, Mm -hmm. other relationships. I mean, you know, like, you know, so I, in some sense, I hate it for David because I think the, the culture it still was a polygamous culture where you could have these harems or you could do things and you could justify yourself by being the king. I'm sure he was up there on the, roof being like oh gosh i worked so hard for god i really need this i deserve this i can just this is how man things uh and so yeah i mean this is this is a spiritual thing it wasn't just a yeah. i mean even if she was up there no. doing a hula dance for him uh, you know he's in yeah, control this, of his own personhood this is not this is not and i think you bring up a really good point that this is not just a physical thing this is a spiritual yeah this is a, a spiritual downfall not just the physical downfall, not just the person in power taking advantage of their possession and, and, and usurping somebody else's own right. Because as, as Caleb points out um, here in the text, it's not like Bathsheba could really say no. Right. Even, if she, if, even if she wanted to, the idea of denying your king what he is commanding you to do that that's risking her own life that's putting her life on the line you know the other thing that i would say the reason why this is a spiritual thing is still somewhat of a a nod toward david because dave i was thinking about when i was reading this caleb brought up the fact that if david wanted to he could have just had nathan killed like if if this was just a physical thing and an exhortation of power if this was any of that he could just so juxtapose that with uh, when John the Baptist, you know, tells Herod, hey, this marriage ain't right. Yeah. And what happens? 
John loses his head. <laughs> right. And so there's some sense and there were like, it is more than a physical thing or an exhortation of power with David. This was a spiritual thing. And so that's, in, that's the only way I can in my mind understand why David is still a person after God's own heart is because yeah. once, I mean, we could go so far down and justify ourselves, but Absolutely. once it got to a level where David was like, you know, shaken out of the, he was like, I've sinned. Right. And yeah. And uh, I have written down here, I've always said this, like, you know, that's, well, I'm going too far too fast. So I'll wait on that. Um, okay. But yeah, I think, I think that's right. I have on here, like one of the, so um, TV shows and movies that capture our culture, if you think mm -hmm. about them, one of them is the Star Wars saga, right? Um, that, that's been influential for generations, two generations now almost, right? Um, yeah. And then Breaking Bad was like the greatest TV show that ever had been produced, according to many sources, not just sure. me. Like it took me for the end of it for me to actually go back and watch it. But but I've figured out one of the reasons that both of those um, shows are so good or that captures our imagination is at least in the thing of Star Wars, you have this person who started out as good, Anakin Skywalker. Yeah. And you see his fall and turning into evil and how he he made a choice to turn toward evil or whatnot. But yeah. then at the very end, you know, he, he redeems himself. Like he goes back to being good, but you had, he had to fall, you know, and become the most, and sure. then on Breaking Bad, um, the reason why I think people like Breaking Bad so much is because you had this high school teacher who was, you know, trying to do his best for his wife and family. And he, he had cancer and, and then he used that, as an excuse, he was a chemistry teacher in order to make the best methamphetamine that's ever been created and to start selling it because he had to make some money to leave behind for his kids. So there was this good guy. And then you had this over the five seasons, he became evil to the point to where he started murdering people and justifying oh, wow. it to do good. All sure. right. In the same show, then you had Jesse Pinkman is the guy's name. He started out as a meth dealer, dropped on high school, nothing. But by the end of that show, he had turned the corner to try to become like the ethical one and saying, this is wrong. I can't get into this. And you right. saw the, it's almost like a, the graphs. They, they did this, you know? It was oh like, yeah. Yeah. And so um, we like that. And that's what happened here with David. You starting off strong, but then you can just see how he justifies himself and how he's turning, but then you get that another U-turn and, and you kind of yeah. like that story because it's us. It's it's a redemption story. It's yes, it's we like recognizing redemption. Tragedy, yeah, we like redemption no. stories. Redemption, you in order to be redeemed, you have to have something go wrong. You, you have to fall. Yeah. And this is exactly what's happened to David is he has he has caved to his humanness, to his lustfulness, and and done some terrible, terrible things, put Bathsheba in a horrible position, now pregnant. And then had her husband killed because he came home and tried to honor David. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the Darth Vader act anyway. Like that's yeah. the uh, Herod act would be like, she's pregnant. I got to get rid of this guy. There was no, mm -hmm. like, that could have been the first exit, so to speak. Like, right. okay, I've done this wrong. Let's try to. Yeah. Anyway. And, but it, you know, so anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that was that was an interesting story about Uriah and how he he really tried to honor David when David called him home from the battlefield. Yeah, if you're a teacher, I mean, you've probably already read this story a hundred times. 
I'm going to guess, but I would encourage your um, students read the whole story. Don't just read the not these nine verses here. Read that whole yeah, story because, no. yeah. like, um, yeah, I mean, like, it's in some sense it's that same narrative where you have Uriah is held up as a mirror to David. Like in in all of these redemptions, where like Darth Vader, you had Luke Skywalker, so you had this yes. compare and contrast. In Breaking Bad, you had you know uh, the teacher and the the method, but like you just. Yeah you get these mirrors and then you see yourself. And so like in this story, the mirrors, so to speak, are um, Uriah the Hittite who was faithful, mm -hmm. but ended were bad for him. And then you had David, really the powerful one who should have been righteous and, and false. Yeah. And so, um, so anyway, that's that. Um, yeah. And then the, that's where the work of Nathan comes in. Like the prophet, he had to stand for, um, he had to stand for what was right. Yeah. He stood for justice. He stood for, for what, well, I like what Caleb had to say here. He said, when we read Nathan's eloquent parable and bold condemnation, we must remember that they came from the mouth of God. Yeah. Yeah. That's important. And I think in that next, one of these discussion questions here coming up, uh, I'd like to talk about that more, but I don't want to do it right now. This discussion question, however, do you think David might have reacted differently had Nathan not told the parable? If so, how do you think he might have reacted differently? And if not, what do you think Nathan's purpose was for telling the story? Purpose hmm. I I agree. I think with Caleb, he talks somewhere in here about that it was kind of softening David. It was it was a it was a reframing of the story. I mean, Nathan took what had happened between David and Uriah and Bathsheba and he reframed it in a context that David would understand that this was a terrible thing yeah. this was a horrible thing because I think if Nathan had come out and just like proclaimed his disagreement yeah and and how wrong David was I think yeah. David would have been really pissed off because again we have to remember that David was justifying his actions. I mean, through the whole process, well, I'm the King, I can do this, you know, blah, 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 whatever, whatever his thought process was, it was, it was that human justification for, for doing something wrong. And when Nathan confronted him with this story of, of mirroring and reframing the question for David, then it caused David to take a pause, take a step back and go, Oh crap. That was me. Yeah. And what a horrible thing I did. Yeah. And so I think what it also does is a Sunday school teacher, if you're a preacher, or whatever, I mean, part of your job is to relate the truth of God into a context which your people can understand and be convicted. So like Nathan comes to David, David was a shepherd, right? Probably had had on his mind how to treat sheep and probably didn't like it when his sheep were mistreated or whatever. And so, mm -hmm. um, Obviously, John the Baptist was not an Old Testament scholar. John the Baptist could have gone to Herod much differently and maybe not gotten his head cut <laughs> off. I don't know. I'm just saying, you know, maybe he know. could have reframed that a little bit better. Maybe because it didn't maybe. work out as well as he wanted. No, it did not work out great for John the Baptist. <laughs> um, but it, but the point being is, is as teachers and preachers, we go that extra mile instead of just teaching a lesson, we try to connect the truths of God to the heart of the people in yeah. such a way that, you know. And, and, you know, the encounter can go so far, but you're in the local context. You know, Bobby, you know, Sue, you know, these people more than we do. Um, and so that's one of the extra oops you got to do as a teacher is to, to be able to apply. Yep. And so Nathan. To understand your students. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, so that's all I would have on that. Um, so far as the digging deeper section, we'll move on to that. What you got? Mm-hmm. So this this whole reframing of the story, it, it's interesting because we have to remember culturally where David was. David was the king. And understanding the culture as a king, you could do no wrong. Yeah. Because everything you did was was a royal decree or a royal decision. And so there wasn't, it's not like anybody could have really called David out and said, this was a terrible thing that you have done. It was David needing to recognize that what he did was a terrible thing. And I really think that's why Nathan had to, to bring it to him in the way that he did, because then he could look at the story and go, okay, so this royal decision I made, this justification that I made for, for what I have done to Bathsheba and what I've done to Uriah, this was, this was a bad decision. This was a bad choice that led to, led to horrible things, Um, which leads us into Psalm 51 with David's, David's plea, his repentance. Yeah, I would say so. Like, uh, this is one of the phrases I use. Repentance is an off ramp. It's like when you get on the, when you get on the sin train, buddy, it's going to arrive. It's like uh, in Genesis, when God talks to uh, Cain, you know, if you do what is right, um, you're good. But if you do what's mm-hmm. wrong, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to devour you. Right. Mm-hmm. And so like, you'll make it wherever you're headed, you're going to make. And so um, repentance is a way to, to say, okay, I'm on the wrong track. And I think, thankfully, I mean, thank God for Nathan being faithful yeah, and calling out absolutely. David because who knows how bad it would have gotten. Um, so anyway, because this then, is what happens when you go down that sin train is then when you yeah. justify it and you get away with it once, oh, it starts it makes worse. it easier to justify it and yeah. do it again. And it's, yeah, it's kind of crazy. This, this just popped in my head. This is neither here nor there, except uh, usually when somebody gets divorced the first time, they get a divorce the second time just because it's easy. You've been through it. It's not scary anymore. That kind of thing. So, I mean, that's the thing, but that's any habit. Like, you know, it's like, uh, sometimes I tell the kids, you know, at the marketing church when I was there, like, you never have to stop something you don't start. So don't, you know, when you do it one time, second time is easier. Um, Yep. Absolutely. That works both ways. Once you do something brave, you you can do something brave too, but not what we're talking about here. So Psalm 51, that's a reflection from David after Nathan has called him out. Um, one, uh, one of the suggestions that we have here on page 45 is that you read Psalm 51, one through 10 aloud. Um, certainly do that. Uh, but I would also challenge you, uh, to challenge your class that they read it at home too, mm-hmm. with their self in mind, those things they try to hide from God or those things that they know that they've done wrong. And, and it's a good, uh, it's a good repent, repentful Psalm. It's a good model. Yeah. Um, yes. On that. Um, it's a great song. You want to jump into that discussion question, or do you want to bring up anything yeah. else? I, I think I would say um, the narrative lectionary he brings up that pairs it with the parable of Matthew 21, 33 through 41. Jesus does the exact same thing with the religious leaders. He tells a story yeah. that is so obviously true that that they know that, I mean, they just naturally say, Err. and he's like, yeah, yes. They, they get really upset because again, it's a reframing of yep. the question and it makes them go, oh, that's me. Oh, right. what do you mean? Crap. I don't like that. I don't now like they double me. down. 
David, David repented. They double down and Jesus hangs on a cross. So like they, yeah. so there's, there's a difference. That's a good discussion. So yeah. if you wanted to prepare teachers, read Matthew 21, 33 yeah. through 41. And I really like that last paragraph before yeah. the final discussion question. Caleb says, we're often quick to judge when we do not stand accused, but perhaps we almost do the work of seeing ourselves as the rich man in Nathan's story and the tenant farmers in Jesus story. Perhaps we proclaim judgment upon our own heads time and time again, when we condemn others for committing the same sins to which each of us is also living in bondage. Yeah. And we do. So that's be pretty honest, much the discussion we do. question. Like if this happened to you, what would you be basically is what the discussion question is doing. And yeah. I think it's, it's where you're at in your hard heartedness. Again, mm-hmm. if you've had kids, you've seen them do this. Sure. If you have I been mean, a kid, you've done this. If you've been I young, you've I've, done I've, this. I've, talked about this before where sometimes some of the things my kids do when they get done doing it and we've walked through it I call my mom and apologize because yeah. I recognize myself in that same action and I'm like oh my gosh oh my gosh but we do yeah it's uh, terrible. so it exposes our hard-heartedness when we get defensive yeah um you know I think your mom my mom every mom has always said well maybe um you know some of the defense when people like attack you the first thing you do, I think maybe it's Stephen Covey. I read this from like, you know, first, what's true. Second, what's not true in a criticism and what can you do sure. about it? You know? And yeah. I think that's the way we approach those things because yep. people might be trying to hurt you, but you know, just because they're trying to hurt you doesn't mean they're necessarily wrong about everything. Right. I remember that, you know, if people write in about the encounter, they might be cranky, but they might be right. So, you know, sure. you, don't, you just don't sure. ignore it. Um, so anyway, let's move on to the learning from the scripture section then. Um, right. What you got there? Um, I really enjoy that Caleb was talking about being a, an apostle. Um, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. That's good. That, that's, a good, that's a good word because apostle, he says, literally means a person sent forth. Mm-hmm. And this is, this, is, this is who we are. This is what we're supposed to do. Yeah, we're supposed to be. We, we're yeah. the people sent forth to proclaim the good news, to share um, to share this, to call people to, um, I think you had a sentence that you really liked was at the bottom of the first paragraph. Um, the church, yeah, the modern church, go ahead. The modern church can learn a great deal from the courage and wisdom of Nathan, as well as the contrition and repentance of David. You know, we are both Nathan and David. We are, we are the ones called to go out to call people to repentance but we also have to recognize that we're David yeah. and that we also need to be called to repentance, that we have an accountability. It takes a huge amount of maturity to actually be a good church uh, because like in scripture, it says, you know, confess your sins to one another. Yeah. How careful Ooh. would you be confessing your sin to half the people you go to church with? Yeah. It'd be very scary to do, but at the same time, okay. So think about it like this. Do you think Nathan had an attitude of, yes, I get to go knock the King on no. the head. No, Nathan no, genuinely really cared so. about God's people and David. Yeah, and so I think that showed in his care, and maybe that's why he, um, he approached David the way he did with the parable because Nathan loved David. Nathan yeah. loved the kingdom of God, and because of that love, he knew that David would hurt himself even further if he kept on in that situation, and then yes. David would bring back would bring down the rest of the nation, and so out of love, the church has to has to delineate 
between what's right and wrong or godly and ungodly. Maybe I'll say godly and ungodly because sometimes right and wrong gets a little messy. Um, yeah, yeah. But I think what really gets messy, like, you know, if somebody genuinely loved me and we disagreed on whether something was wrong or right, I think we could have another conversation. But when people sure. are just seeking out to hurt me. Just the jabbing in. Yeah. Or if we no. as a church are just talking loud because we think the power of our voice is more important than the content of our words. That's pretty awful too. Sure. You know, I think that's probably why people have such a hard time confessing their sins one to another. It's not the fact. You don't know if that person loves you. It's the judgment. I think they're in fear of, are you judging me for that? Or are you hearing me as a, as a fellow believer and, and loving me through it and helping me. Yeah. You know, understand where I'm at and, and allowing me to repent and, and bring me back. Right. So the phrase is do not judge lest you be judged for in the same manner you judge, it will be judged to you. Like I need somebody to tell me when I'm stupid, judge the crap out of me. Just do it in love. Like, right. Sure. Sure. Like if I was David, the best thing that ever happened to David was Nathan judging him. Yes. Proclaiming God's disobedience or God's displeasure yeah. Um, because if he hadn't, again, it would have been worse. And there's been people in my life who have gotten a hold of me and said, eh, Chris, you're, you're dumb right now. Don't be yep. dumb. And, uh, thank God for him. I needed it. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. but I've also had, like I said, and you have, and probably anybody listening has had people who are just mean and they yes. enjoy the fact that they can come to you and say you're wrong. Yeah. And that makes me want to punch. People. And they relish in that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. They, re- they relish in that. And that's not, that is not Christian love. That is not Christian counsel. That is not Christian accountability. That is, that is humanness of watching another person fail miserably and enjoying every minute of it. And that's a terrible thing. So I'm going to go to the discussion question now, because this leads into one reason. This is, this is me. So the discussion question, have you ever felt convicted to speak out against something you found wrong, but hesitated due to the potential ramifications. Why is it so difficult to challenge inequity in our communities and our world? Um, so the re- like sometimes, and this is where holiness is kind of important. Sometimes I see something wrong, but then I'm like, I ain't no better. Why am I gonna point mm, it out? Right? And true. so like, that'd be hypocritical. And it's sure. true. And so I'm like, eh, you know, maybe I need to clean my room first. But that doesn't yeah. give me, but that doesn't mean I shouldn't go ahead and clean my room. And it shouldn't mean that I shouldn't go ahead and say, for the glory of God and for the good of the church sure. and for our sure. souls, we do right. Um, sure. But so far as potential ramifications, I um, think we yeah, fear think potential ostracization, you know, yeah. that we want to be a part of the community and we want to be a part of the group. And I think sometimes we fear being outcast. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, COVID and Twitter Ugh. changed the way we all. Interact. Oh my gosh. So yeah. sometimes you feel empowered, but it's because you want to be heard. Sure. Or it's an easy way of showing righteousness, even though your heart is terrible. But then you know, there's people, and, and I say that because, like, why is it so difficult to challenge inequity? Like, you know, my daughter's generation, or even my daughter, she'll take a stand on something to make sure she puts it on Twitter. She won't do anything about it. And so I think that's not a real challenge to inequity. No, I think that's a, that's an exercise in self-righteousness. Sure. And so maybe we, um, and I'm not saying just her, I'm just, that's how, that's our whole generation and people. And so maybe we, 
maybe it's difficult to challenge inequity, actually, uh, period. Maybe is what I'm saying. Maybe was, it is. Maybe it is. Yeah. That's uh, a good point. We'll see. But I, I'm just saying it's hard right now to everybody. It's hard. Because everybody, everybody thinks, especially right now, that their opinion is the right opinion. And right. So I think challenging inequity is hard right now, even with those who are would be considered progressive in the sense of I would really question their motives. That maybe that they're actually more concerned about justifying themselves than they are about the actual equity that's not happening. Sure. Um, and I've seen that. Like I, that's my phrase, bumper sticker justice, right? Like yeah. as long as you yeah. post something on your bumper sticker, you're done, you have worked hard. You're good. And you're close to solving the problem, but you're yeah. not. You know? yeah. So I think that actually probably leads us to the applying the scripture section. Mm-hmm. There, you know? uh, anyway. That no, um, was awesome. Um, so I, I'll just read the discussion question because I think it'll, it'll help just do the rest of this section. How will you seek to speak truth to power when you witness injustice or exploitation in the world? What internal obstacles will you need to overcome before committing yourself to proclaim the gospel, even when substantial risk is involved? On the other hand, how will you work to humble yourself so that you might acknowledge how you have perpetrated perpetrated sin and injustice in the world? Last week, you brought up the quote from Martin Luther. I preach the gospel in my congregation every week because they forget it every week. Yeah. Um, the gospel's he also said, I preach the, my, the gospel to myself every day because I forget it every day. Yeah. But the gospel is two-edged sword. In order for you to remember that you're forgiven, you had to be in, forgiven of something. Yes. And so there's humility in that, right? And I think yes. that might be the way I would answer that question is to say um, Christ exercised um, or saved me, right? He exercised yeah. a, a, an act of justice um because of me and so therefore i give up my body or myself to mm-hmm. christ and the brothers and sisters in love to bring forth justice yeah it, it goes back to being an understanding that we're both nathan and daniel or yeah. and david you know that that we all have something in our life to repent of. And I think Caleb brings this up in here that he says repentance is often thought to mean simply apologizing for our wrongdoing and resting in the peace of knowing that God forgives us, but nothing could be further from the truth. In actuality, repentance is turning away from our old ways and boldly declaring our intention to leave our sin behind. And then doing it as well. And then doing, uh, yes, you know, and we're never going to be perfect at it. We're, yeah. we're never, I mean, we're all going to sin, you know, I mean, scripture makes that very, very clear that we all fall short of the glory of God, but that doesn't mean that we don't stop trying. That doesn't mean that, you know, Paul, Paul asked them, what are we supposed to do? Just keep on sinning? No, that's not what you do. That's not, that's not the right thing to do either. It is you know, appealing. That, sure it is, you know, because it is easy. You know, you don't have to, you don't have to work hard to, to not sin, to sin, yeah. that's, that's a simple thing to do, but recognizing that we are sinners saved by grace and that we have that sinful state and we need to, I think what Nathan did when he asked and posed the question to David was that he forced David to look inside himself and recognize his own wrongdoing. And if we just sit on our little pedestals of life, thinking that we're all high and mighty and that we have no issues and that, you know, obviously we are perfect. We're, we're missing the point. We're missing the point of the gospel that 
that we have something inside of us that needs to change and be transformed. And the person who does that is Jesus. And when we encounter him, we encounter this riven, this risen Christ. This is when we recognize that we are just nothing, but with Jesus, we're everything. Preach sister. Preach. (laughs) Bring it on. Yeah. Yeah, And I would like to just include, because I've promised myself, I would do this every time I get a chance. Practicing justice is more than putting a yard sign in your yard. It is fundamentally changing what you do. And then it's fundamentally working toward change and, and putting a sticker on is maybe step, maybe step one. I don't know, but um, we embody actually doing that, you know, treating people differently, sharing the gospel everywhere you go. This is what we're called to do. Be a Nathan. Uh, being a but recognize that we're also David. All right. So in ending today, I'm going to, I've, we've mentioned this before, but starting in the winter, our videos are going to change. The format's going to change. You will be able to interact a little bit more where these can still be used on YouTube. I'm sure I'll have to make sure of that, but I'm pretty sure we'll still have them on YouTube, but they'll also be switched to what's called a Kajabi platform um, mm-hmm. to where you'll be able to interact um, a little bit more. And so that'll be coming up for the winter quarter. Um, and one of the good things about that is we'll actually be at a place in the recording studio. So like you don't see in the top right corner of my box, like what looks like a laser pointing at my head <laughs> or a dog jumping out every once in a while and chewing on things. Right. So, right. Or my cat coming in with yeah. random animals that I have to stop and go uh, evacuate from my house. Yeah. Right. So, um, uh, I just, just a word that that's coming up. So this is lesson, this was lesson eight, right? So yes, five more, um, of these lessons in this format, and then we're going to be switching to a different, you know, same thing. You'll still be able to find it, like I said, here on YouTube, but we'll also have a, a different platform that maybe you can pass along to your students or, you know, if you're, it'll be good. Yeah. Um, so we're excited about it. I mean, yeah. we're really excited about this new opportunity and hopefully we'll open up some, some new doors for, mm-hmm. um, new groups that would yeah. be interested in, in participating with us. It's also kind of like a guinea pig for some of the future curriculums that we're going to do. Um, we're going to try to do some new curriculums that are digital based, some videos, you'll still be able to get paper copies of things, but we are trying our best to reach a, a new audience, um, mm-hmm. with the, with our Cumberland Presbyterian resources, uh, Becky and I in the ministry council think that our church is an awesome church and we have resources that uh, can be spread far and wide. So, and so Amen. that's where we're at friends. And we will see Amen. you next week. The Lord bless you. Keep you, make his face shine upon you. Be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen. Bye everyone. <laughs>